you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up to Titus chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in a chair around you, not far from you. Uh, you can take a look at that and open that up to Titus chapter 3. It's, uh, I believe, if you're opening up one of the Pew Bibles, it's somewhere around the 999th page of, of, uh, of that book, somewhere around there. Um, it's good to be back. Been gone the last couple weeks. Uh, I heard Pastor Marvin did a wonderful job, um, and no surprise there. Appreciate that. It is good to be able to get away to rest and also know that uh, there are good people who God has called and entrusted and uh, can minister to you and minister the Word of God to you. I'm confident of that. So, but it is good to be back. We went on a uh, road trip. Uh, how many of you have been on a family road trip before? Yes, for vacation? Yeah, so we did uh, two weeks, 2,200 miles, and kind of a loop of uh, the eastern seaboard here uh, from uh, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., Virginia, Baltimore, New York, and then home. Uh, so we did kind of a big loop, and I'm not telling you that just to review my vacation. I'm telling you that because I want to talk to you about journey today. I want to talk to you about the idea, some of the things about the commonalities of going on a road trip and some of the things we've been talking about on Sunday mornings here at Mount Hope. We're finishing up our series on Titus, and we've called it While You're Waiting. Now, when you're on a road trip, some of you that have been on road trips with kids, there's a lot of questions that come up, but there's one question that always comes up, and what is it? Are we there yet, right? When are we going to get there? Now, those of you that haven't been on a road trip recently with your kids may not have been able to experience the wonderful aspect of Waze or Google Maps. You don't have to answer this question anymore. They can just look at the screen, and they know exactly when you're going to get there and how far apart you are. So I rarely got that question uh, on the trip, but that's often a question. Are we there yet? When are we going to reach our destination? And that's what we've been talking about in this series too, this fact that as Christians, there's a destination we're looking forward to. The Bible says there's a hope we're looking forward to. And the hope is that Jesus is coming back that he's coming back for his church, that the way things are, as I said earlier, are not the way they're always going to be. Jesus is coming back. Everything uh, is going to be new heaven, new earth, restored the way that God intended it to be, justice and mercy and, and working the way that God intended it to be. And we are looking forward to that day that Jesus returns for his church, returns for his people, and we look forward to that. But that day is not here yet. It may happen in the blink of an eye, but it hasn't happened yet. And the question is, what do we do while we're waiting? Well, just like on a road trip, you've got jobs to do, especially if you're the driver. You've got something to do. You've got you to drive the car. You've got to watch where you're going. Uh, you've got to think about where you're going, which is not something I always am good at. Um, I just think there are more important things to worry about when I'm driving than where I'm going. Um, so often Wendy has to be like, are you getting off here? And I'm like, yeah, it's... This is how I always get off. Just cut four lanes of traffic and just get off there. But, uh, but you've got things to do, right? I have to listen to that lady's voice on my phone to tell me where I'm going. Uh, you got to make sure there's fuel. You got to make sure there's food. You got to referee conversations going on in the back seat. You've got jobs to do along the way. And it's the same thing when you're waiting for Jesus to come. What we've learned is that while we're waiting, 
There are things that God has for us to do. And more importantly, uh, as we've looked at Titus, people who God has called us to be. And so we've learned a lot of things. As Paul writes this letter to Titus, who's a young man starting a church on the island of Crete, which as we talked about a number of weeks ago, was an island full of described as, as gluttons and lazy, evil beasts of people. And Paul said, okay, you're starting a church here. Here's what you need to do. And he laid out a bunch of principles for them to carry out while they are waiting. And so we learned a number of things in this passage that we're supposed to be doing. Just to review some of them. We're supposed to be following good leadership in the church. We're supposed to put in place good leaders, follow good leaders, listen to good teaching. We talked about that. We're supposed to live self-controlled lives. The older people among us are supposed to be mentoring the younger. And the younger people are supposed to be learning from the older as we go, learning how to live lives. We're supposed to always maintain Christian character and witness no matter what the circumstances around us or even how difficult our life may get. We're supposed to have a focus on the gospel and last week relying upon the Holy Spirit. That all these things are things we're supposed to be doing while we are waiting. But just like a road trip can get derailed by certain things, the things we're supposed to be doing while we're waiting, the church that God wants us to be, the people that God wants you to be, can also get derailed while you're waiting. I don't mean just delayed, right? Road trips can get delayed by certain things, but then sometimes they can get derailed. The car breaks down, can't be fixed. Weather situation, there's a hurricane, there's a tornado, I don't know where you're going. It can get derailed. And when we come to the end of the letter to Titus, Paul gives him two things. That he said, Titus, if you're not careful about these two things, all that we have laid out can be derailed. All that I've given you so far can go off track if you are not careful about these two things when it comes to building up the church of God. So let's look at that. Titus chapter 3 we're looking at. We're just going to look at a couple verses at the end of the book today, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read 9 through 15 just so we can finish out uh, the letter, um, 12 through 15 is, is Paul's um, salutation or, or goodbye uh, to the letter and gives a number of instructions. So we're going to focus mostly on 9 through 11 this morning. So Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, <clears throat> Paul says, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped, sinful. He is self-condemned. When I sent Artemis or uh, Tychicus to you, do your best to come to be at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. In these verses, Paul is talking to Titus as a ministry leader, but he's not only talking to Titus as a ministry leader. We pointed this out uh, in a message a while back, that this is not just a letter to an individual, Titus. 
Paul fully expects that this letter will be read by the entire church. In fact, the end of this, grace be with you all, it doesn't come across as easily in English, but in Greek, that's a plural you. He's not just saying you, Titus, he's saying all of you that have heard this letter, grace be with you, because he knows that the letter is going to be read to the church. So it's read to the church in the first century, and it's read to us, the church, in the 21st century. And in that, Paul has instructions for us who are in the church. And he's basically in this passage, in these two verses, 9 through 11, he's saying, look, if you're not careful, there's at least two things that can derail the work of God in your church and in your life. And so watch out for these two things. The first thing that could derail us on the journey from becoming the people in church God desires us to be, simply put, is distractions. Distractions. Verse 9, if you look at verse 9 of chapter 3, Paul says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Have you ever gotten drawn into a conversation that you thought was going to be productive, only to realize afterwards that it was a complete waste of time. And not only was it a waste of time, but you ended up, it would have been better had you not even had the conversation, because at the end of it, you realize you said some things you wish you hadn't have said. And now there's work to do just to fix what was broken in a conversation that probably would have been better not to be had in the first place. And Paul is saying here, look, Titus, if you're not careful in the church, one of the things that can derail the work of God is unproductive and unhelpful controversies and conversations that you might get into. Because there are times where someone is open and willing and looking for dialogue, and there are other times that someone is just trying to distract you from the important work that God has called you to do. Uh, the best I can liken it to is this, Paul's kind of talking about first century trolling, right? Those of you that are on social media, you know what a troll is, right? A troll is someone who, who very purposely puts on provocative, harmful comments just to get a reaction out of another individual. They're not, they don't necessarily maybe even believe what they're saying. They don't necessarily, they don't want to dialogue about it. They are just trying to get the other person to react in anger, to say something so that then they can say something about them. And I think Paul is kind of saying to Titus, watch out for first century trolls. Watch out for those people who will try and engage you and pull you into discussions that are distractions from the work that God has called you to. Watch out that you don't get pulled away from it. Don't get trolled. Quarrels Paul's talking about are not important conversations where people are looking for resolution and looking for actual answers. They're smoke screens, as I would call them. They're distractions. They're, not, they're, they're conversations that take you off track. Genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. These things for Paul, uh, they weren't things that Titus needed to be discussing, and why not? Because all of them get into issues that he says are unprofitable and worthless. What he's doing is he's clearly making a contrast to the earlier verse in verse 8. Because in verse 8 that you looked at last week, Paul says this, 
The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So in verse 8, he's saying, look, this is excellent and profitable. And what's he saying is excellent and profitable? He just laid out the gospel for them. That God has saved you through his grace and his mercy, and it's not through the righteous works that you have done, and you are called to do good works for him, and this is excellent and profitable. And in the very next verse, he says, yeah, but you know what's worthless and unprofitable? This. This is worthless and unprofitable. When you are pulled into distracting conversations that are not focused and grounded in the gospel. See, what these conversations were, genealogies was like, look, I can trace my family history back. Look, I, I'm, a children, I'm a child of Abraham. I have all these other things going for me. And Paul's saying, that's a distraction. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the fact that God's grace and his mercy has saved you. And other people would say, well, look at this part of the law. Look what I've done. I've done this. I've done that. You know, and Paul would say, no, it's all about the gospel. That's unprofitable and unproductive. We're not going to argue about that. We're not going to argue about how you're saved. We're not going to argue about, about what it is that gives you right standing in God. Because what it is is God's grace and his mercy. And that's productive. And that's valuable. And so when we gather as a church, when we have discussions, when we're here on a Sunday morning, when we're here talking in the hallway, when we're having conversations amongst one another as Christians, I think the question to us is, are we having discussions about those things that are valuable and productive? Or do we sometimes get pulled into unproductive and worthless conversations? Are more of our conversations about how great the mercy and grace of our God is? Or they're more about what at best amount to secondary issues. You know, in Paul's day, it was genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. I wonder what Paul would write in today's day. I mean, they didn't really have buildings and things to worry about. They didn't, you know, they didn't have to discuss, you know, that. Maybe Paul would say, you know, discussions about carpet color, about chair color, I don't know, about the volume of the music. You know, they're distracting about the fact that, can you believe he's going to two services? Why are we going to two Sunday morning services? You know, and we talk about that. We, I like, don't you like being in one service? I like being in one service. Um, and, and we get in conversations, but if we don't say, okay, why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? Are we doing it just to do it or are we doing it to try and reach more people to stay, our, to stay focused on what our purpose and what our mission is? And I think that's a good example of sometimes we can get focused on these other things that take our focus off the purpose of the gospel. I was reading a, um, uh, something by John Acuff not too long back and John Acuff is kind of a Christian writer and he said he was in church with his wife and his wife turned to him and said, I like that we sing songs that I don't like. Think about that. I like that we sing songs that I don't like in church. And uh, John said he kind of looked at his wife and waited because there obviously had to be more to it than that. And she said, because it means we're reaching people who are not like me. And think about that for a Now, there's a real kingdom mindset, Right? we're singing songs that I don't necessarily like, it means someone else probably likes them. 
And maybe we're reaching someone else who's not necessarily like me. And, you know, that's, I think, a small example of, okay, how can I bring that kingdom mindset? And I think Paul is saying, look, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by, by other issues that can take you off track from what's really productive and what's really, really valuable, and that is the gospel and the grace and mercy of God. And uh, what Paul's saying is, look, don't, let, don't be unprofitable and worthless. And he says twice in this passage where we read, before it and after it, instead, do good works. See, the thing about getting involved in distracting conversations is it becomes a double loss. Uh, if you're into sports, it becomes a two-point swing. Not only do you lose out because you've been involved in something that's worthless and unproductive, but you missed an opportunity to do something good with that time and energy. You missed an opportunity to encourage and spur someone on in the body of Christ. You missed an opportunity to build up the body of Christ. You missed an opportunity to, to glorify God in what he's done in his grace and mercy. We miss that and instead we spent our time on worthless and unproductive conversations. So it's a two-point swing. We don't just fail to make progress. We've done something unprofitable and worthless. And so I'm not saying that's going on a lot in our church. I'm just saying that's what Paul's talking about. Look, be careful. Be careful because this will derail the work of God. Look at our own hearts. Are we involved in things that are distracting or are we involved in those things that are primary? The second thing that could derail us on the journey to becoming the people in the church God wants us to be is division. Verse 10, verses 10 and 11 uh, talk about this aspect. He says, as for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he is self-condemned. Paul essentially is saying, look, if this church is going to make it, if this church is going to be the church that God has called it to be, it's going to have to have unity. It's going to have to, you're going to have to be in this together. And uh, I think Paul, long before Abraham Lincoln, was illustrating the principle that a divided house can't stand. That you've got to have that unity amidst that. Unity and trust. I think one thing he's talking about here is unity and trust of the leaders of the church. Now, not unity and trust is important, but remember the context of this passage. Not talking about blind trust, not talking about being robots and checking your brains at the door, but he is talking about, look, when leadership has been put in place, and remember, back to Titus 1, that whole chapter was on choosing good leaders. And once you've chosen those good leaders those people who are upright in character, those people who are holy and loving God and serving Him and, and, and serving God, once you've chosen them, then Paul's talking about be careful about people who's going to try and bring division in the midst of those things. Choose those good leaders and then allow them to lead. The divisive person is often the person who follows a leader until, they until that leader conflicts with their personal preference. That leader's a great leader until they decide something that I don't like with my personal preference. And of course, leaders have standards that need to be upheld when it comes to the moral and the aspects of their call and their leadership, but a lot of times we get bent out of shape over things that have nothing to do with that. 
Um, and at times we can become, it can become divisive. And Paul says, be careful about the divisive person. And we, we kind of shrink back at his, his, the stri- strength of his language here. One of them once, and then twice, and then have nothing to do with him. And then you say, Paul, isn't that divisive? Now you're being divisive. But in the scriptures, what we see is it's always for one, the protection of the church, the sheep, but two, the restoration of that person as well. You see it in First and Second Corinthians, if you take the time to read those letters. In First Corinthians, Paul has this guy that's in the Corinthian church that really needs to be dealt with. And in First Corinthians, he says, put him out of the church. He, he's causing problems. He's causing division. And this is not good for you, and it's not good for him. You need to have nothing to do with him. But then in 2 Corinthians, he comes back and he says, okay, okay, you put him out of the church. He's doing, you know, you got to let the guy back in now. He's restored. He's doing better. You know, don't, don't cast him out there forever. Now you can let him back in, this guy I was talking about. It's for the purpose of restoration of the individual. And so I think here Paul is, would say the same thing. Look, you got to put him out because you got to have some separation here if someone is intent on being divisive. Now, again, this is warned once, warned twice, but he's, the person is still intent on bringing division in, in, to, the, to the work that God is doing. And Paul says, that's going to derail the work. That's going to derail the work. And he says the person is warped and sinful and self-condemned. You say, well, how can Paul say that? Because remember what he's talking about. If they were focused on what was profitable, which is the gospel, God's grace, mercy, salvation through his work alone, then they wouldn't be self-condemned. But if they're focused on these other things, on division and taking down the work of God, Paul says they've condemned themselves. And they need to be at a place where they can come and restoration is possible uh, for them. So, uh, so he says that. So we have to be careful about division. It's distractions and division that can derail the work of God. Uh, it was Augustine who said, in essential matters, unity. In doubtful matters, liberty. And in all things, charity. And it's probably good for Augustine's day, but for our day as well. In essential things, we ought to have unity. Those things the Bible is clear about, we need to be unified on. I think that's what Paul's talking about here. In doubtful things, those things the Bible's not completely clear about, they're convictions that may good Christians who love Jesus and love God disagree on, we ought to have some liberty. But in all things, we ought to, to one another, have charity and love for one another in our conversation. And even when uh, a work like this and a decision like this has to be made, um, that it's done in charity and love for an individual and for a person. It's, we have to be careful because Paul, what Paul has been saying and what we've been learning is that God has a plan for his church. And he laid out what leaders are supposed to be like. He laid out what older men are supposed to be like, what older women are supposed to be like, what younger women are supposed to be like, what younger men are supposed to be like. He laid out the gospel. He laid out the good works we're supposed to be doing. And now he's saying it can all get derailed. Basically, if you don't keep the main thing, the main thing. Thomas Rayner, uh, some of you have uh, read a book of his that we give out at our base camp class called I Am a Church Member. He wrote another book called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. I know, sounds like a real depressing reading, Um, especially for a pastor. Uh, 
but I actually had all of our deacons and elders read it too. Uh, so we can all be depressed together. Uh, no. He, what he did is, it, it is kind of depressing stuff because what it is is it's, he surveys a, lot of, a number of churches who, who died, who no longer exist. And he looked at them and he talked with people and he interviewed people as much as he could see if, are there any commonalities for churches that no longer exist. Churches that once were vibrant, churches that once, you know, were, were doing weddings and baptisms and prayer meetings and loved people and people were getting saved and then they no longer exist. So if you did an autopsy on a deceased church, what do you come up with as the reasons why the ministry got derailed? Why the ministry is no longer productive? Why the ministry is no longer bringing people to the Lord and, and doing the ministry? And he came up with a, a number of things, but really came down to one thing. I'm going to read you a couple quotes from the book uh, where Rainer says, Rainer says, thriving churches have the great commission as the centerpiece of their vision, while dying churches have forgotten the clear command of Christ. So those in the church were more concerned about protecting the way they did church than reaching residents of the community. And then he also says, but more than any one item, these dying churches focused on their own needs instead of others. They looked inwardly instead of outwardly. A church without a gospel-centered purpose is no longer a church at all. Rainer says, a church cannot survive long-term where members are focused on their own preferences my music style, my desired length of service, my desired color and design of buildings and rooms, my activities, my programs, my ministers, my staff, my, 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 Rainer says. Really, when you read it, it's a small book, and there's a number of things he looks at, but when it comes down to it, it's this last one. It says, the church without a gospel-centered purpose is no church at all, and the church eventually dies. That the commonality they found with these churches was that when they took their eyes off the gospel, when they took their eyes off what they were really called to do, that they eventually were on the decline to being a church at all. And it's exactly what Paul was telling us here in Titus. Don't get distracted. Don't be divisive. Don't get derailed. Don't focus on unproductive and worthless things. Keep that valuable and excellent thing in focus, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which comes freely to you, and you are to bring to others and offer it to them. And if you keep that as your focus, then you will be the church that God desires for you to be. If you will do as Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness all these things will be added to you. The other things you won't have to worry about if you will just seek first God's kingdom and his power. Paul said it, I'll close with this other last scripture. Paul said it a little differently in his letter to the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter two, he says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, 
but also for the interests of others. Do those good works as Paul talks about in Titus. Stay focused on the gospel and what God has called you to. It's not necessarily an uplifting note that he closes the letter on, but it's an important one, that the work of God can be derailed. And God forbid that we would be the ones that would derail it, that we would be the ones that distractions would come through or that division would come through. So as the worship team comes back and as we prepare to respond to God's word, we're gonna continue, we're gonna sing a couple more songs of worship. Our elders are gonna come up and be available for prayer for you to pray for you and these altars will be open. But here's the question this morning. Here's the question. Are there any place in your life where your preferences are taking, taking place, taking priority over God's kingdom priorities? I have to ask myself when I look at this passage, are there places in my life where my preferences or am I looking at things that are not the main thing, that are not the main gospel, and are they taking priority in my life over God's kingdom priorities? Is there any place in my life where, God, I have allowed my heart to get off track, I have allowed my eyes to get off track, I have allowed my mind to get off track, such that I don't have and I'm not seeking your kingdom first? If we're going to be the church that God desires us to be, then we need to seek God's kingdom first, to have him first in our lives, to have him at the forefront of all that we do and all that we are. So every decision we make individually and as a church should always have this perspective of God's kingdom first. How are we working at that great commission and that great commandment, loving God and loving others? Those things are to be primary in each of our lives. So I'm going to ask our elders to come forward and I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship and respond to God's word. Father, Lord, we come before you today and we thank you. God, I thank you, Lord, for your word that comforts us, but I also thank you for the words that challenge us. Lord, what I know is that our hearts can deceive us. And so I'm asking, Lord, that you would search us today and that you would speak to us. I can convince myself, Lord, and I know every one of us can convince ourselves that we're in the right. So, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would just search our hearts. And is there any place in our hearts and our lives where we have allowed ourselves to become distracted from that main work of God in our lives? Is there any place maybe we have become divisive instead of promoting unity and encouraging? Lord, speak to us and lead us. Give us unity. Help us to be that church that you have called us to. May we now, Lord, not just be hearers of your word, but Lord, now as we respond, would you make us into doers of your word, God? In Jesus' name.